Welcome to Speak Sex. I'm your host, Eve Eurydice, and today's guest is Joel Brier. Um, he is a, a yogi and a, a, a sacred medicine practitioner and a spiritual emergence coach, and he is the founder of Kaivalia Collective. So um, the re- what I'm interested um, in particular uh, in your self-presentation, Joel, and I want to find out more about is that you call yourself entheogenic yogi, which is a world mm. I love because um, it's my personal, one of my personal definitions of the divine, right? It's like finding mm. God within yourself and how do we do that, you know? And of course, one of the ways that um, we have done that, whether or not we've been capable of like naming it, is you know sexual uh, pleasure is is going out of mm-hmm. ourselves in in the moment of orgasm. So that's like one experience that I think most people have, um, no matter what they tend to call it. Um, but finding that greater I am or that greater consciousness within the divine. Um, mm-hmm is just life-changing. So I know through the word sacred medicine that there is some there are psychedelics involved, right, in yes, your yes. research. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, but I would love to hear more about it. Um, what your, you know, of your journey through uh, meditative space and then um, sacred entheogenic um, exp- enlightenment, right? Mm. How that happens. So tell me a little bit, uh, where are you from? I am originally from Washington, D.C. Oh, cool. uh, my father's from Haiti and uh, my mother's from New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I grew up in Washington, D.C. And then uh, I l- ended up leaving in around 2007 and left the U.S. and then have traveled all around, lived all around the world. But my roots are in uh, my roots are in DC, but uh, now they are in Los Angeles. Right. That's so, how did you, you find from. this path? Um, your How did you start on this path, and where? I, I assume you you had a guru or a mentor or someone, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So I've had throughout my life. I've been fortunate enough to have many different mentors, teachers, and gurus. Um, I was raised with a very spiritual upbringing. Both my parents. Um, we're very into different meditations and uh, a lot of kind of different new agey things at that time in the 80s. And uh, so I got to experience a lot of that. And I was taught to meditate when I was a kid. But I um, I kind of traveled very far from that practice, we'll say, in my youth and uh, had to get into all sorts of trouble to learn my lessons. So I, my early years were spent in Washington, D.C., getting into as much trouble as I humanly could. But after that, I uh, I moved to the Caribbean, to the Virgin Islands. And um, found my first two teachers there, one who was a Taoist yoga teacher, one who was a Kundalini teacher. Um, I later took on a, uh, a Peruvian Curandero as a teacher when I was assisting um, with firekeeping ceremonies. Um, I have a guru now, um, Guruji Dr. Achar, and he is from, uh, from India, beautiful, beautiful human. And, uh, and I've had lots of other teachers along the way, lots of different lineages. I would say what I teach and offer now is a blending of many beautiful teachings that I was fortunate enough to learn. The view on psychedelics and entheogens mm-hmm. is that they're only going to go as far as a person takes them. They're only mm-hmm. going to have as much lasting uh, lasting effect 
as a person puts in the effort to integrate into their daily life. You know, back in the day, I was a, a hardcore, what we would call psychonaut, you know, um, back in the 90s, especially, <laughs> I, was, I was devouring psychedelics at a ridiculous rate. But I wouldn't say that I was getting a whole lot from it. Of course, it was showing me that there was a lot more to this all than meets the eye. But I was doing no effort to, you know, set a proper setting setting. I wasn't setting an intention and really trying to think about what I was going in there to do. I was kind of doing as, as escapism back then and kind of just thoughtlessly. But mm-hmm. even now, you know, a lot of people who come to me, you know, they say, you know, I have people reaching out saying, you know, hey, because I uh, specifically work um, with 5-MeO-DMT, which is the most potent, powerful psycho um, substance on the planet. And um, I constantly have people say, you know, because a few articles have come out about it, making some miraculous claims. And so I have people reach out saying, you know, I heard if I do this medicine, it'll cure my depression or it'll cure my anxiety. So I always like to stop in there and say, this medicine is not a cure-all. It is not a magic pill by any means. It can give us the ability. It can show us, just as you said, it can show us where we're holding resistance. It can show us where we may not be accepting what is. It, may, it can show us where we need to do our work. And then it's really up to us to take it into our daily life and do that work. Um, especially with this one, 5-MeO-DMT is such a big, powerful substance. You know, it's the only one that can regularly give a non-dual experience, which is where there is no longer a subject-object relationship, no longer a you and I, no longer this or that, etc. It is pure, undifferentiated source, pure totality and awareness. And while that is an amazing, amazing experience to have, to have the drop rejoin the ocean, the beautiful remembrance of our full totality, while that is amazing and provides that cathartic release, it's really what happens after where the magic is. Because once we've been cracked open like that, it's the catalyst. It's the, it's the budding of the flower. But then that flower needs water and it needs love and it needs space. And that flower is going to need room to shake off whatever's been holding it in. Because throughout our life, we collect so many what we call samskaras, so many different patterns, so many different systems and structures we put on ourselves. So much it instead of simply being. And so then this process allows to bring it all to the surface. And then it's really about holding space for what comes up, holding space for what emerges, and using tools that were given to us through these ancient teachings, you know, such as yoga, which is the main tool that I would use in this yogic philosophy and meditation, using these tools of self-inquiry to study ourselves and understand where we're holding on, Mm -hmm. where we're not putting enough effort, you know, really get to know ourselves and then right. from there, it's like a rebirth, you know, it's a full rebirth and we can replan out how we want to reemerge into the world, how we want to present ourselves with this newfound knowledge of unity. Right. But yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is a good time to cultivate your inner garden, right? To, to, yeah. find, to go inward and see what your priorities are and if there is a spiritual, you know, search that you've been putting mm-hmm. aside or ignoring, but it's interesting to you or important to you you know it's a good time to kind of like face our mortality and see what that means you know when we hear about deaths uh, you know when we hear about decisions between how many deaths versus like how many people will be making money you know like is is the economy more important than you know a certain number of, of fatalities you know questions like that where you know it it actually is obvious that you know our culture is quantifying values that are are moral 
right? Uh, yeah. Make make you stop and think. You know, do you do you put like monetary value on these kinds of uh, questions that that are really about our our essence? You know, or as humans, mm-hmm. you know, our moral core. Um, and I also feel that there is already, you know, there was already kind of like a, you know, it was a little fashionable already, you know, because of like tech culture, I think primarily yeah. whose tech culture came from California where you are in California had kind of like, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a tradition, like a pre-existing, you know, strong, let's say hippie culture from the 60s, you know, and LSD yeah, and yeah, all of, of that, you know, the whole Aldous Huxley uh, let's say tradition right so it kind of stayed that way you know it, it stayed in the culture enough so mm-hmm. you know then we ha- you know n- now it's like micro dosing everybody's talking about it you yeah know, because yeah. like now that cannabis is legal um you know there is a lot of com- conversation about how to incorporate it into one's life not to get high but to get like specific you know somatic or yeah. sp- spiritual benefits you know so yeah optimizing our uh, optimizing our system right optimizing your functionality mm-hmm. rather than just like you know uh, relaxing you know which is how yeah yeah you know or or or, or escaping <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. which is how it used to be when it was illegal and you know people would just uh-huh. like get you know get high and check out, you know, and yeah, not yeah. have to. Yeah, right. So, um, I mean, you're still, of, of course, uh, you're still uh, doing uh, most of the practice uh, out of the country, right, I imagine? Yes, because yes. Our retreats, our retreats are done you know, in Mexico and Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, I, do, I do a lot of uh, spiritual emergence coaching um, from home. I do that uh, via Zoom sessions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's... Um, helping people through sometimes it's integrating a psychedelic experience. Sometimes they're going through a bit of a contraction before a large expansion that may feel like a psychotic break. You know, sometimes just holding space and, uh, and using the tools, using the tools from the Vedas, using the tools of Vedanta, using the tools of, um, of inquiry to really dissect and pick apart what, what's coming up for them and help them understand and slowly pull all the threads and under the threads that, uh, that weave the thoughts of the mind and, eventually the whole veil unravels and it's a beautiful cathartic release. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like alchemical, right? Wouldn't you say in in nature that like there is some, you know, if you put your faith, I feel like, you know, they call it in alchemy, they call it the philosopher's stone, but it's like, you know, like what's that magical, you know, that's like unknown uh, ingredient that makes the the transmutation, the change happen. And to me, you know, like, okay, so let's take like Christian, you know, practice, which we're all familiar with. Um, What, Mm -hmm. you know, what makes in Christian, uh, in Christianity transmutation possible? It's a hundred percent faith. You know, you have to be a believer. And if you are a believer, then, you know, this, this, let, let's say the holy words, right? The chant, the sacred chant that the, mm-hmm. the, the priest who is also holy is doing in the, you know, over the altar in the sanctuary, which is also holy. So you kind of like have to have that faith in the yeah. holiness of these elements. And then through the sacred words, you know, the, the, the alchemy uh, happens to like the, wine and bread and this is mm-hmm. you know the chosen this is the, the these are the chosen vehicles as kind of like every day um 
it, it could be something else. And then, you know, the, the, the believers imbibe, you know, through the priest, um, the, the wine and the bread, and their faith makes that wine and bread become the body of, 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 Jesus, of Christ. So mm-hmm. I think that that's like very basically what how alchemy works in our lives is we have to put our faith in something, whether it's our own ability to, you know, morph or, or you know, whatever substance facilitates that in, in our, for us, um, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of like a experience that, that seems, um, that, that feels like, you know, uh, important, different, yeah, unique yeah. in our life, and after which you feel like you went through, a, you know, a, a transformation, and now you can yeah, yeah. start new. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who are you? I'm just curious. You know, like who are the people who come to you most? What's your uh, typical, let's say, you know, uh, practitioner, new, new, you know, newbie. <laughs> um, mm-hmm who comes you know how do you uh, who how do you recruit for the retreats um and then um you know i'm interested like what what jobs most of these people do in the and you know yeah, yeah. in daily life um and um what are your numbers and how they are experiencing this change you know this like covid-19 mm-hmm. moment so that's a lot of questions yeah yeah no it's perfect it's perfect so for our retreats, the type of uh, the type of participants we get is a very varied uh, crowd. Um, I mean, it ranges from age groups from early twenties to I believe uh, the oldest we've had is eighty one uh, join a retreat. Um, we've had a few people in their seventies and sixties. We've had it's uh, it's a really a mixed crowd. We have some people who come there who are entheogenically inclined, as I would say, who have a lot of psychedelic experience and are really ready to get down to the nitty gritty. You know, they've worked with different medicines. They've, they've done a lot, but now they're ready to really put it to good use, trying to, you know, um, kind of take it to another level. Um, we get, I, I guess a lot of our other crowd would also be, um, people who were in, you know, in their, in their, in their fifties and sixties who, you know, during this psychedelic renaissance that we're experiencing, you know, they may have read Michael Poland's book, you know, uh, how to change your mind with psychedelics, et cetera, and started to kind of, oh, you know, I remember this from the 60s. You know, maybe there is something to this and started to get interested. And so, you know, got on, got online and got well-educated and well-read and knew that they wanted to do it responsibly and well, and then they do their research. And in the 5-MEO realm, um, we do, we do uh, put, a lot of, uh, we put a lot of work into our retreats. A lot of integrity goes into the container that we set, and, uh, and it shows. People notice it. And so we find that our crowd is really the, uh, the earnest seekers who want to do some real work. We don't really have too many who are coming for a vacation or coming just to have some fun. It's, uh, we've been blessed to have, no matter from what age group or background, I would say all the people that join us are really ready to get down to business and do some work. And, uh, and that's always really, really nice when engaged in teaching spiritual practices and doing this deep work when people are, are ready to meet you there with that same effort that you're bringing. And it's always really refreshing. As for numbers, we don't like to do big retreats. Um, we keep our retreats 10, 10 people max. Usually we go up to 15 if there's multiple practitioners and assistants. 
But the idea is for everyone to get individual attention. Everyone's got their own stories. Everyone has to go over their own hurdles to release what they need to release. Everyone's going to go through their own journey before that big surrender into the infinite. So that deserves special attention. So no one gets lost in the crowd. So we begin with preparation. We always start working with participants weeks before the retreat, at least, where they are screened medically, physically, psychologically, emotionally. Um, and we begin, uh, we begin assisting them with journaling into their um, into themselves. So we have little journaling assignments. Like the first one they receive for preparation is based on the five kleshas, the five root causes of suffering in yogic philosophy. So they can go through and look at these five causes of suffering fully explained out and see where in their life some of those may be present. And they can start identifying that, seeing where they may be holding resistance to the natural flow of things that is only causing turbulence. And that helps them start to narrow in on an intention. And so we do a few calls or video chats with each participant before the retreat to really help them kind of narrow in on what they're coming there to do. So when they get there, they're ready to go. And then we also even open it up with a nice big video chat with all the participants too before the retreat. So everyone can get to know each other a little bit and ease up and kind of break the ice a bit. And that helps when they get to the location. It helps them feel the warmth of the container straight away. It helps them feel ready. You know, there's not that awkward getting to having to find yourself around, you know, having to find your comfort. Some are professionals. Some are, um, you know, we have on our last retreat, we had a scientist. Um, there's uh, we had a doctor. Um, a few were retired. Um, some others, uh, some who are in the service industry, restaurant industry, um, some who work for themselves. I would say as for as for careers and stuff, that is completely we see all over the board. Um, we haven't found one kind of specific type of group that's coming to us more than another yet. More so just anyone yeah. who's any, yeah, anyone who's just really ready to dive in. Mm -hmm. And, and so do, how are they, um, what's the general response to what's happening now in that community? Do you feel that people, um, have like better tools to deal with all the changes do you feel oh, yeah. that uh, people are you know kind of like worried or you know that they when will they be able you know, to go again or worries worries will come up worries will arise as they are natural during a time of uncertainty like this what i have found with uh, i can speak for myself of course and for uh, many others who um who have a, who have a, a, you know, who have done a lot of good work into themselves that we're okay with not knowing that there's a, a, there's an ability to rest in restlessness that yes, worries can arise, but we do not have to attach to these worries, especially this medicine or this work period. Serious self inquiry is going to lead you naturally to begin to allow yourself to surrender a bit especially with this medicine, the only thing you need to do for this medicine is surrender. So, you know, the, I feel that this has really given a lot of people a good head start on understanding how to surrender, but it's not just surrender right. and, yeah, oh, yeah, just yeah. lie back and let whatever happen. Yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. But, you know, in, in, it's, um, in general, you know, in, in kind of like less, less modernized, less global t time frame uh, cultures, we are very comfortable in slow time. You know, we are comfortable yeah. with periods of time where we don't do much. You know, we're not so like um, 
production focused and achievement focused you know we're okay with like yeah. hang, hanging out <laughs> so, yeah we can be human beings instead of human doing right yeah and we don't yeah. feel like if we spend the day you know like talking to friends and hanging out and you know uh, whatever working in the yard or mm-hmm. you know taking taking long walks uh, going food shopping we don't feel that that day is wasted you know whereas Yeah, yeah. In the in the kind of like global economy world, we very you know we're mm-hmm. very much trained to produce, uh, you know. Yes. Kind of goal oriented like, lifestyle. Right. Um, and, to and, the extreme, yeah. Right, and the goal is connected to like monetizing also. So you know, yeah. you may say, yeah. oh, you know, I finished like a book, but that doesn't that doesn't count, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? No, I would say I would say that this medicine has shown me. To be okay when things are burning down around me, because naturally we will always feel a contraction before a big expansion. Things need to dissolve before there can be regeneration and regrowth. We are now seeing a lot of old paradigms, a lot of old stories, a lot of old ways of thinking are now falling away. And of course, there's the natural tendency of the mind to hold on and grasp for it as it falls away, simply because it is falling away. However, we get to sit back and know that, okay, things are changing. Things are growing, we're evolving and expanding, but we cannot expand without breaking off our shackles. There has to be a little bit of turbulence here. There has to be some falling away. There has to be recognition of the old patterns that no longer serve us. So I think for a lot of us, as you said, yes, on the spiritual path, it, it has put us in a, in a fortunate position of um, not feeding into the panic because we know that no matter what, we simply are. And that is the only yeah. constant is that yeah. we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. and I asked you about your your let's say uh I guess clients um mm-hmm. uh you know the 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 metrics uh because you know just from my own like personal research into burners and you know people who go to Benjamin or at least used to go you know a little while ago when it wasn't so much about like you know inst- yeah. instagramming yeah. and taking photos and like you know getting cred because you've been um but i was su- surprised to find that so many of them were what what one would call in the political universe let's say more conservative right that i that mm-hmm. um you know it wasn't more libertarian um yeah. you know so i was surprised to see that it's not so much like liberals uh the, yeah. w- the, the way that i expected it you know i expected like conservatives yeah. don't do this stuff and liberals do you know we try everything out and um yeah so but but i noticed that actually you know um yeah i mean there's always the people who just like go to party and get high and you know do like mm-hmm. a, have like an orgy of drugs <laughs> um yeah yeah but yeah. but that the average person like when you talk to them or at least you know some years ago i haven't gone recently but you know they are they were very much uh the like the the classic american you know that that classic kind mm-hmm. of like um American of the movies or, you know, the mythology of the American who is like self-reliant uh-huh. and, you know, who goes out there and, and you know, and kind of like creates space um, and new space, you know, who believes in like in- inclusion, 
and mm-hmm. you know and participation and honesty in kind of like a more radical way but it's not necessarily like uh, judgmental and preachy yeah, yeah. in the way that both liberals and conservatives cons- you know <laughs> these days can- yep. are you know and it's and it's like where are these people you know where I, like why are they not represented uh, in the in the you know in the media uh, yeah. uh, all over like the 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 general daily conversation you know these mm-hmm. i mean there were a lot of people who i thought they were like more like republicans you know and again like you don't talk politics but i because i'm a political animal i kind of like try to always have a sense <laughs> you know i want to <laughs> know like who i'm dealing with you know i i, I don't want I, I don't want someone who is like life makes him you know hideous to me morally <laughs> you know like yeah, be my yeah, friend yeah. in one of in one of these you know kind of bigger groups so um <laughs> you know I, I you know i want to make sure that like he doesn't come from one of those huge families that fund everything i i am against right so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of like ask questions I'm, plus it's like you know this is what i do like the whole idea of the podcast and the writing it's very much sure. an anthropological research you know you're interested in like mm-hmm. humanity and where it's going and where it, where it's coming from and what you know yeah what questions does you know does it face um and so i'm i'm always surprised and that that's why i asked you that you know because a a lot of these people were republican leaning i would say in their politics and i think they probably even voted for trump even though i I didn't i haven't been since that election um Mm -hmm. but like that was the leaning and nevertheless you know there were people who like devoted to you know self-reliance and as i said and inclusion communal efforts civic responsibility you know like living not race keeping the environment clean um you know um charity um decommodification in a sense because that's what you know the the whole bedding culture is it's like you know you have a great time and survive on very little right so you don't need all Mm -hmm. these other objects that yeah we seem to work towards so that that is a question that i can't quite resolve you know because when you all hang out together and you like create your camp together and you work together and you you know take your duty there's almost like an element Mm -hmm. of like um, you know, like a drug army, <laughs> like you know, like you are the <laughs> yeah. warriors of psychedelics or something, right? Uh-huh. So it's like, where are we? Why, like, why do we feel like you know this commitment to like joy and excitement and well-being and and partnership and all that stuff? Why is it lost in our you know political conversation or even like the way the media represents most americans and and instead we mm. seem to always be at odds you know and i don't know i don't know but it's something that i've always wondered about this yeah. community you know the kind of um the com- you know this this community of like retreats and spiritual path um and self change uh-huh. and which i think you know uh, combines the these two you know these two belie- these two ways that otherwise in the culture we feel are antithetical feels as if globally you know we're in we're in spiritual emergence as a as a as a human race right now everyone is going through it and uh we've had you know we've had people from all different types of political backgrounds i can't say i don't know if we've ever had any kind of hardcore right-wing people in any of our retreats or anything but um i have worked with some 
And it's, it's interesting. Everyone's feeling something. Everyone is feeling this and they're experiencing it in their own way. And uh, it's very interesting. All I can say is watching someone from a far right kind of political stance doing this type of self-inquiry and then watching the things that fall away is very interesting to watch. If someone has taken on a worldview that is based on benefiting the self and taking from others, we will tend to see some torment in their experience and in their journey of shedding. But, um, I, I, yeah, I'd say I've been pleasantly surprised at the, uh, at the variety of types of people who have been stepping up to do this work as of late. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about the sex part, right? So, I, yeah. I, you know, part of this would be part of this kind of like non-duality, I assume would include, um, less monogamy like the same way that you know uh, one understands um, God differently Mm -hmm. one might understand a relationship differently right yeah you know it's uh, it's very interesting the deeper I came into understanding of my true state of being, the more I understood non-duality as much as it can get understood, I feel it's an oxymoron, but um, the more I surrendered into that mystery, the less I understood monogamy. Or I can say the more I understood how monogamy came about and it started to look to me as if it was the product or the same thing as what happened to religion. As we took something that was beyond understanding, something of the mystic, and tried to create structure and make ownership of it because it is our natural egoic tendency to want to own and want to covet and want to have for myself that which gives me pleasure, that which completes me. And then that, you know, that gets into a whole nother conversation, you know, about trying to find one person that completes you. It's, um, that's when, that's when real trouble starts. But yeah, I found that, um, that my ability to really understand and take that concept seriously began to dwindle. And, um, and coming into terms with that and beginning to understand that and what it means and uh, has been an amazing practice as of late, has, has brought so much up and helped integrate so many learnings from my life. And it's been very beautiful. Right. So you, how do you practice specifically? You practice um, open relationship or... Yes, yes. Um, my, my wife and I, are, I guess the word would be ethically non-monogamous. Okay. I guess would be the, the title, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not as polyamorous as I guess with polyamory, there's multiple real, like, full-on relationships. Um, mm-hmm. With my wife and I, we are each other's central column, that, um, mm-hmm. that sacred marriage. And mm-hmm. we hold space for each other to, to explore in other ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, and but keep that, uh, but have that central core to come back to. And it's been a, a very, very very beautiful way of finding real communication with each other and has deepened our relationship in, uh, in ways that I can't even understand yet. It's been absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. How long have you done that for? Oh, not long at all. This is a, okay. this is a matter of months. This is, this is very oh, new wow. in my, uh, okay. yeah, this is very new. This is, it's been uh-huh. the process of a long time. My, my sexuality was something that I repressed um, very aggressively through my yogic practice. As, as a yogi, you know, you get into that mindset of, oh, I've got to take all that sexual energy and just draw it up the spine for higher use, for creative use. I've got to, um, you know, deny those types of pleasures. Right. They're just distractions. Right. And Renounce. I got into that whole headset. 
Yeah, yeah. And I got into that for so long. And, you know, before that, it was something that I struggled with. I had a very, very active drive. And, um, and so it, you know, got me in trouble because I tried to deny it and I tried to put it in, you know, tried to just shove it away and it would make its way out in, in, uh, in other ways. And this is allowed to really allow me to really go in there and look at it and to start shedding away the shame that has come with it, start shedding away all the dogmatic ideologies that I had wrapped around intimacy, pleasure, sex, and love. And it's, uh, it's allowed for a far more authentic relationship uh, with my wife and myself. It's really deep in my relationship with myself. So, uh, yeah, because the, the gurus kind of are complicated that way, I, I feel that, you know, I mean, there are some exceptions yeah. like Osho, you know, Rajneesh, mm -hmm. you know, but like uh, typically they seem to uh, preach, uh, n you know, asexuality. It's kind of like yeah, freedom yeah. from it's the, the, you know, the needs or the compulsions of the, of the, just the body. Yeah. But they call then, it brahmacharya. Brahmacharya is restraint, restraint from sexual urges. But I feel it was misunderstood and taken too literally. I, I believe brahmacharya is mindful control of one's sexual energy. Right. You know, just not letting it all just go wherever, just mindlessly. Right, right. But, right. yeah. Yeah, I agree, which is what we call conscious sex, right? You know, being exactly, able exactly. to be conscious throughout, you know, from like the beginning of the desire to basically the yeah. orgasmic completion or multi-orgasmic completion or whatever you choose to mm -hmm. call, like put, you know, the stop uh, put a period momentarily. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, yeah. if one can be conscious throughout the whole process and and, and able for, for good reason to walk out of it throughout the whole process, then I feel that it's mindful. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And then you gain from that. And, you know, if you can kind of like bring others into that same consciousness, then that's how we, uh, you know, transform our way of understanding yeah. life and our relationship with, uh, you know, our, our creative power. And yeah, um, yeah, but but for sure, there there is always like a a challenge because, you know, most religions, including the Christian one, right? I, the, the the practitioners, like the holy men, usually it's the men. Mm -hmm. You know, the the holy ones, the leaders, you know, reach a place where they feel that they are holy enough or accomplished enough where they can actually have sex again. Um, mm -hmm. You know, allow themselves to have sex because they're above that. Yeah. they've reached a certain stage. And then yeah. to everyone around them, if that becomes known, it seems as pure, you know, hypocrisy. So, you know, uh -huh. you know, it's hard to kind of like understand what's up, right? Um, yeah. And a lot of it is is either kept secret um, or, mm -hmm. you know, silent, you know. So I feel that, yeah, I feel that, you know, a big part of our um, challenge is to be able to integrate all of these mm -hmm. in a way that seems, you know, respectful. So it doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't feel like blasphemy, but it feels, you know, it's kind of like evolution. Yes, exactly. I love what Ramana Maharishi said. He likens spiritual practices to thorns used to remove other thorns. Hmm. As spiritual practices are useful techniques, yet they are still structures of the ego by the ego designed for the ego. 
And yet we need structures for the ego in order to give us geography to navigate these spaces. But then just as you said, when you get to a certain point, then it's important to release those things because then those maps that we once used to navigate can become a prison. If we hold ourselves in abstinence, which is a spiritual practice, and no spiritual practice should be should just be taken, you know, for, for your whole life without ever reinvestigating it. You know, it's there there are techniques to get us to a certain place and this abstinence is a discipline that can get you to a certain place. But at some point, you know, everyone's path is different, but it is um it's important that we remember that we're here to play. We're here to experience, you know, we are spiritual beings having a human experience and getting to enjoy the tactile senses of this beautiful, delicious playground is a lot of the fun. So it's, um, we can get ourselves into punishing ourselves, you know, and just saying, no, I'm trying so hard to just be the one that we end up shorting ourselves out of on a lifetime of experience before we just die and go back to be the one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I know. (laughs) Which is a whole other, you know, oh my God, that's that's another subject. That's another Mm -hmm. full like podcast series, which I, you know, can get into. But yeah, I mean, you know, sex and Mm -hmm. death kind of like a little bit overlap. And, you know, in in America, like partly our, our relationship to sexuality, yes, is challenged, you know, like so much of it is done secretly or silently or whatever. But then the relationship to mortality is even even uh-huh. more like limited because you know people can, yes. can't deal with it. It like they just wanna avoid. Oh, it's big. Yeah, my wife is a death doula, an end of life coach, wow. yeah. and um, and she actually she trains death doulas. Um, she trains people to become end of life coaches, and holding space for the dying is very sacred work. And not only that, but holding space for the family and loved ones of the dying holding space for the dying as they're coming to terms with the fact that they're dying, all those different stages. There's so much there, but there's so much medicine. And then it's such a deep spiritual practice. And it's, uh, it's very, very, very humbling to watch her in her work when she is guiding someone in transition. It is, uh, wow is all I can say. No, it's wow. Exactly. It sounds wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, you know, I kind of like talk about, you know, or I try in my work in all kinds of different ways to reduce and eliminate like feelings of shame and pain and suffering and self-hatred and guilt and anxiety during sex, you know, just because people Mm -hmm. are naked because, you know, in sex they they feel so vulnerable because they, you know, they don't have like all the cover-ups that that the modern world kind, you know, kind of like hides us, you know, hides our truth behind. So whether it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the phone screen <laughs> uh, or, <laughs> or you know, filters yep. <laughs> um, oh, or, yeah. or all kinds, you know, I mean, all the things that we do, you know, not just the costumes, like the clothes we wear, but like, you know, the accent that we have, the, the way we move our bodies, the way, the, you know, oh, yeah. the pronoun we use, the... Uh, you know, the identity, image. right? The whole identity mm-hmm. that we choose to like take on. And, you know, if we think that we're an alpha or a beta or, a, you know, and how we think the world per- perceives us. And that's just like such a yeah. huge, right, construct. I mean, even like, oh, yeah. you know, the cosmetic surgery or, you know, the hair color or the, I don't know, <laughs> straightening of the hair or the curling of the hair or the, you know what I mean? Like it's endless yeah. if you look at it and it's all like the construction of identity that we feel more comfortable in because we feel is more w- what we would like to look to be 
than what we actually are. So like when you're naked with someone, especially if the lights are on, <laughs> at, and at mm -hmm. some point in, in during the sexual exchange, you stop being self-conscious or you won't feel it, right? You won't enjoy yeah. it. So when you're no longer self-conscious is when you are so exposed because you cannot control yeah. like how you look, how you appear, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like, especially from the back, but really from anywhere. You just can't. You can't control mm -hmm. that and, and open up completely to, to just the sensation. So I feel that a lot of that, um, you know, that unconsciousness is where a lot of the fear of, like, sex begins. And then, it, oh, yeah. it, you know, because we don't have, like, simple ways to clarify that, it turns into sexual dysfunction that affects, you know, like, sensual pleasure, ability to orgasm, you know, like, even arousal mm -hmm. and all that. So, but imagine now if you replace that vulnerability, you know, that you have, like, during the few moments of, of being naked with someone else face-to-face -face without all of your mm -hmm. shields. Imagine if you replace that with dying, you know, dying. Yeah. Which, like, the, the orgasm is a tiny symbol. We call it little little death, right? Petit mort. Petit so, mort. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a tiny symbol of that, you know, extraordinary, like, loss of control. And yeah. loss of all that assumed identity, you know, you kind of, like, slowly or or quickly, depending on the, you know, the occasion, lose all of that uh -huh. stuff that you've structured to prop you up, and mm -hmm. it's just an extremely an extreme danger, right? It's a place, yeah. It's a place of extreme danger for the consciousness that you've constructed for a lifetime, and the identity mm. that you've you know put together. Your hard-earned, you know, like identity that you've made everybody agree is you. Like this is who you are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. God damn it, I am X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and then, yeah, there you are, you know. And I feel that, you know, sexual, like sexual honesty, is a tiny bit of training toward accepting our inevitable, you know end our passage our transition you know are dying so you know they the idea that death is like something we all you know fear and avoid at all costs um i mean is understandable but it's you know also not rational because mm -hmm. we know that we're all gonna die you know and yeah. So why are we so keen to like not know anything about it? Why do we want to control everything except that? <laughs> right? <laughs> like why do we yeah. practice so hard not being conscious of the fact that we're mortal? And this is like a mortal flesh, right? That we're Yeah. We're wrapped in. Yeah. You know, that goes right back to the um when I was talking about the five kleshas, the system we use for preparation, the first klesha is avidya. Uh, ignorance, not as in ignorance as in stupidity, but ignorance is ignorance of our own true nature is infinite source. If we forget that we are everything, we're going to think this is all going to end. And it naturally leads into asmita, which is egoism or over-identifying with the self. And that's really where, you know, we begin to over-attach to this life. But then the fifth, the last klesha, which um, the last klesha is abhinivesa, which is fear, ultimately fear of death. And, uh, and then that goes right back into avidya, 
you think you're going to die if you don't remember your everything in infinite. (laughs) Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is the corporeal death. There is the social identity death. You know, there are many symbols. Yeah. You know, there are many deaths, you know, besides like, you know, spiritual death. There are many symbolic little deaths. Uh, even though yeah. I, I do feel that the orgasm is the one that like everybody experiences, and that's why you know uh-huh. sex is scary. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, 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 and that's why like in the original Genesis, right, they use sex as the intro or the explanation of mortality. I mean, yeah, of right, like mm-hmm. wait, and you know when they <laughs> came up, like when our ancestors, you know. But the beginning of patriarchy, I figure, <laughs> uh, came up <laughs> came up with this story, the cosmogony, the cosmogony for Christianity. It's like we're in the garden and we're not dying in the garden. No, no, no. Well, there is no such concept because it's all you know divine. So we're all immortal. Yeah, yeah. And then someone gets, uh, you know, someone gets knowledge of the fact that you know, you know, something is not quite permanent here, um, and when they feel their nakedness and when they start having to reproduce people, when they start not having, when they start reproducing people is also when they face their mortality. So both of Uh, those happen simultaneously, you know, as you get kicked out of that kind of immortal heaven. So it's mm-hmm. at the same time that, you know, Eve feels her nakedness or her shame and Adam covers himself. It, that's the time of knowing that you uh, can die and that you also uh, are sexual. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So it's yeah, interesting absolutely. that, it, yeah, they kind of like gave us that portal. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> one and right. the same. Yeah. So I don't know, yeah. maybe we should all go, you know, maybe we should all be like going out, you know, having an orgasm. <laughs> I don't know. Right? <laughs> I don't you know, know if there's uh, a way to facilitate that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, you know, because this medicine, 5-MeO-DMT, the experience, most of the, a lot of the time it feels not just orgasmic, but very orgasmic. Wow. Like orgasm times a million. You know, I even, I, uh, I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm fairly sure I coined this term, but I'm not going to claim to have. I'm not sure 100% sure if I coined it, but the godgasm. Wow. And, uh, I love that. The term. godgasm oh, is. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's just like the universe having sex with itself. It's just this full body. It's not just a full body orgasm, it's a full universe. It's a full source. You know, it is everything going through ecstatic rapture at the same moment for infinity. And it is. Amazing, but it makes sense that you know because I remember coming out after my first time, be like, "Wow, that that felt like a really big orgasm," you know. And, but it makes sense that it would because that feeling, if we're tapping into non-dual source, we're tapping right into creation. Therefore, when we are creating right, exactly. within that in our own fractal way, we right. would taste a little bit of that, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Who prepares the, that mm-hmm. formula, or what's what's in it? The alkaloid is also, it's found in the um, secretion of the Bufo alvarius toad, the Sonoran desert toad. Mm-hmm. And then we use it in its main pure form, which is just a pure isolated alkaloid, 5-methoxy-DMT. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes in a, in a powder, in a powder form, and it is uh, vaporized. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, uh, and it takes hold within seconds. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Yes. 
But essentially, the closest thing it's to chemically would be serotonin. Right. And where do you mm. and where do you obtain that? You guys, I mean. Oh well. <laughs> okay, so it's through ready. The, it's, okay. Through the uh, the mystic through the mystic realms of the underground entheogenic kingdom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I love that. <laughs> I think we could do like a whole series. <laughs> yeah. I love that kingdom. <laughs> the Anthogenic Kingdom sounds like it could be a great mm. Netflix series. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> there you go. That's like, yeah, that's the pitch. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, good, sweet. So I'm pretty much done. I, I wouldn't mind uh, ending with a with a short little poem of mine, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, go ahead. You know, I um. I've kind of been coining my own uh, little genre of psychedelic sexual poetry that is uh, quite fun. And it's, uh, let's see here, what have we got? Within the stillness, something is brewing, alchemized by more than just the alpha and omega. Fear not the contractions we are experiencing. Allow them to mold us, to rearrange us in order to make room, feel into the pulsating expansion. The quivering lips of curious consciousness. As the earth shakes, the mountains tremble with heat. Steam erupts and Mother Nature moans and curls her toes. Something is happening here. Can you feel it? Fear is in the air, yet the juices of creation taste so sweet. Let our lips hold yesterday's memories as we speak into existence a new tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sweet. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for joining us. That was a perfect ending. And uh, thank Beautiful. you for uh, sharing your interesting and valuable juices and truths. <laughs> and uh, everybody out there, uh, thanks for listening. And until next week, keep speaking sex. If I could make love incessantly... I would be God.